The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debate. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Stephanie Schutz. Stephanie is the director of the Federal Acquisition Services Multiple Award Schedule Program Management Office. That's a, that's a mouthful, Stephanie. Yeah. yeah. Well, welcome to the show. And Stephanie, I know you are leading up for the listeners. You are leading up GSA's schedules consolidation effort. It's been in the news a lot over the last year, really, yeah. fundamentally. And you've been doing a lot of outreach to industry and managing that effort and Today we're going to talk about it and get the download where it is, why it was done, where it's going, and what it means for the government and for industry. So uh, first of all, to, to kick it off, can you sort of like level set the listening audience and talk a little bit about where the schedules have been or were and what you were sort of dealing with when you were put in the position as the director of the program management office? Yeah. So the multiple award schedules program is – over 30 years old. It's a long-standing program, and it has migrated through different functionalities throughout its life. It started off mainly as products. As services became more active, it started doing that. But as all things start in the government, it started in a paper-based situation. So anytime you have paper contracts, you have different centers that are doing different things. Um, and one thing led to another thing, and we ended up with Quite a few contract vehicles, which we call the schedules program. In the legacy program right now, we have 24. But even five years ago, we had more than 24. Right. Um, you had on close to 40, I we think. We had close to 40. Yeah. Um, Tiffany Hickson did a huge push to do the very first consolidation that was successful. And that was to consolidate all the professional services schedules into one schedule. And she kind of was that pioneer that really pushed that we could see, oh, wait, this could work. And what we realized is we had a lot more things going for us now than we had even five, 10 years ago. We have electronic contracting, which means with the lack of paper files, you don't have to mail things everywhere. You can move workloads as you need to. And it made us a lot more flexible. So I came in this role probably just over two years ago, maybe two and a half. Judith Zawatsky was my predecessor and she had started kind of diving in to the schedules program and what needed to change. And we looked at everything and we said, hey, what do you like about this? What do you not like about this? If you could change anything, what would you change about this? Industry. So were you asking in uh, industry, internally, GSA internally, folks, and customer agencies? All three. Yeah. So we asked everyone. And the thing that was crazy is everyone had the same response. And it was it kind of just synced together. And it was probably the one time in my entire career in the federal government where everyone had the same response. And it was, it's not consistent. Even our workforce was like, I don't want to get an email from an industry or a customer that says, so-and-so says this, you say this, what's right? Right. So for everyone, there was a consistency issue because everything changed by small little tweaks here and there. It's different clauses, different interpretations, Different all everything, yeah. 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 And became very confusing. The other issue we had was duplication. It really became a weird guessing game across the boards. 
industry would go, well, I only had enough money to get one contract. So I guessed. I was pretty sure this was the right one. Now that I'm in and it's four years down the road, I know I'm not in the right one. And I can't get to the right one because I don't have enough resources to get it. And this was a common complaint we had. The other complaint we had was I have to get multiple contracts just to come to market. Right. And that's because the scope of contract issue fundamentally? Yeah. So. It's mainly that scope of contract issue. And that's also where we start seeing the duplication in offerings because each schedule had its own scope of contract and people would say, hey, but now you sell this all this way instead of just this one little thing. Why don't you add this in? So now you've got scope creep across and it's overlapping with other schedules. And so we were like, you know. Confusing the customer. Confusing the customer. Customers would come into one of our e-tools, eBuy, to do quotes, and they would guess where to put things. And then industry would come back and say, no, no, that's not even close. Try again. And when you have to guess over and over, you don't want to use an e-tool that you have to guess in. You want it to help you through the process and use real words that you understand so that you know what you're selecting. So we had this kind of from everyone. Right. So it almost sounds like you described like 24 solicitations, 24 silos. Yeah. Right. And even if they were in the same center, they were still siloed, which became even more absurd across the boards. So we looked at everything. We said, okay, how many do we need? And one wasn't the original answer. We had multiple versions. We were going to do 10 categories or we were going to do this or we're going to do that. And we tried to find if we had any offerings that were kind of standalone. We have this one schedule. It's called Schedule 84. It's for law enforcement. It has IT services and products. It has professional services. It's got vehicles, boats, you name it, it's on there. Anything that law enforcement would use. Anything that they would use. This crossed everything. And that's when we knew we can only go to one. Because there's no way... Everyone can get what they need. Someone's always going to need something else if we don't do just one. Right. And that's really where we got to that num- that one schedule. So in that case, you found internally you found the schedule where that scope issue had been addressed. So to your point that uh, law enforcement agencies, security could get whatever they needed through that mm-hmm. one vehicle instead of having go to like IT schedule Seven. 70, then to the professional services, and then – Sounds a lot more efficient. It was way more efficient. So we said, you know what, let's just go to one so that everyone can get. And then instead of us making people go through a weird board game of how to buy, they can just buy the way they need to buy. Right. Because there's only one option. And when there's only one option, your choices become much easier. So really it became more the task, how do we get to one? What do we need to do? And that's when we actually started this project. It included a large team of people to do. The main yeah, reason. Yeah, can you describe for the folks, like GSA manages these schedules all over the country. Is that right? Yes. So we have people in multiple regions. Uh, we have seven main acquisition centers, but they span more regions than the acquisition centers. So we have them kind of everywhere. Uh, from the northwest to Texas to to Boston, Atlanta, Georgia, yeah. Boston, New York City, Washington, D.C. Right. Everywhere pretty much we have a region. We probably have at least one person there that's touching that program. Um, and it's probably touching it in a way that they're working with people that they see every day, but they're not thinking about the person who is across the country that's doing the same thing. 
So you guys put together a cross so we functional put, cross-regional team? Yeah. So we put together this thing we decided to name the Integrated Project Team, or IPT, in government speak because, you know, we love an acronym. Right, of course you do. So you got to do that. So yes. <laughs> it makes titles shorter. Right. <laughs> so we created this huge team, and we decided we needed at least one person from every center. We needed at least one person of every role. We needed people who touched the program. So that would include people who – are the national account managers, customer service directors. We needed these. We needed legal to observe so they would know. We actually invited the IG to observe at the same time so they would know what's going on so there would be no surprises. We had policy involved. And you had, do you have people place in orders and using it? So we add a couple people actually from FedSimCom to be okay, that good. representative. Yeah. And we actually had um, two individuals – that we reached out multiple times that are what we call embedded COs. They actually work for other agencies, but they are paid for by GSA. So we had them because they're so involved with those agencies. They know what they're going through all the time. So we actually had them come and we basically had the entire group interview them so that they could really understand what these different agencies go through on a day-to-day basis and how you have to learn a whole new language. And that was one of the things that they were super like, ugh, trying to explain this to people. I know why they don't want to buy is because they got to learn stuff that they don't want to learn. Right. So, and Stephanie, we're up on the break. When we come back, we'll talk about like the – you can lay out the you know the schedule of what and what some of the functions and things that were the initiatives, pieces and parts of the effort to move to this from 24 to 1. And also, just interesting to give you some, you know, we've talked a lot to challenges with the schedules, but you are building on a good base. And we'll talk a little bit about that. My guest today is Stephanie Shutt. She is the Multiple Ward Schedule Program Management Office Director. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Stephanie Shutt. Stephanie is the GSA's Multiple Award Schedule Program Management Office Director and um, the person who is the schedules consolidation guru, the person that, <laughs> uh, you know, I have to tell you, this person that industry looks to uh, to get all his questions answered, um, you know, and uh, – I, 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 I assume internally as well they look to you, <laughs> Stephanie. Um, and in the last segment, you know, we talked about the current the state of the schedules and one of the imperatives, the duplication issue, the the consistencies issue, sort of driving that. Um, and I think GSA's you know really picked up on something there. Consistency is really you know a foundational thing for business. You know, from a business perspective, the more consistent. The more expectations are sort of certain, the better business can plan to support the customer. And I'm sure the flip side for customers, the more consistency there is, the more efficient and effective they can be with, you know, acquiring the goods and services. Mm-hmm. So I think you guys are really were, were on to something there. So, and you, and you, you described the team you put together. So can we talk a little bit about, you know, the vision in terms of the schedule and the different things you had to accomplish to get to where you and then also an update of where you are right now. That's a lot, but yeah. go ahead. <laughs> so, yeah, we knew we had to break it into phases. So that was the first thing that we took on as our challenge because one of the things we realized is if the project was too large, it was never going to get done. 
And there were so many easy ways that we could have added different things into there and it would have gotten too big and it would never have gotten done. So we wanted to also put parameters on it. So in phase one, we focused on creating the new solicitation. That was the main goal. And that includes making things more consistent, picking one version of things. But we also set a parameter. You can remove clauses. You can pick one version of a clause, but you can't add new. The reason we had that in there is by maintaining the scope of this vehicle uh, and no rulemaking, you didn't add a scope creep in there that created a hiccup later on because we had a very tight deadline of October 1st. So in phase one, the goal by October 1 is to release that new solicitation, which we were able to accomplish. Yes, congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. Absolutely. So in that finished phase one, we now move to phase two. Phase two is for the current contractors. We got to get everyone up to date. So this is to create a modification to update everyone's contracts. And the, so the mass mod, right? The, mass the so-called mod. mass mod GSA. Mass mod right. M A S S, not M A S for right. the masses, not the program. Right. So yeah. So we'll be updating all the contracts and then we'll start phase three. And phase three is the goal basically to get everyone down to one contract per contractor. And that's the main goal of this whole project. So we'll have different stages in each of those. So phase one was, the deadline was October 1st, 2019. Congratulations, you met that goal. And you talked about a little bit about, you know, reviewing those terms and conditions. Uh, You also had to deal with the SINs, you know, the the line items, special item numbers. Yeah. I think GSA is the only one that uses the term SIN. Yeah. Um, but and we'll talk about both those things. And but first the terms and conditions. Can you give folks an idea like how many clauses you had to review and the things you had to go through? I know that the clause count was probably over a thousand just because we have different variations of the same clause, which I found boggling to my own mind. Right. So the economic price adjustment, this is a clause that how you increase pricing. You would think it'd be pretty simple. I would like to increase pricing. Here you go. Mm-hmm. No, we had 11 versions of that. So it's like, well, which one do you pick? So we did get rid of about 160 duplicative clauses in there. We were able to readjust some things to make it a little bit more streamlined. But a lot of the clauses come from either the FAR, they're included by reference, or they're included directly in there. But we also took this time to make sure we had the right numbers on things. That's another thing we found out. Some of the numbers we had were not the correct one, which just no one caught throughout the years. So we had a couple of GSAR clauses that had moved to the FAR years ago, and we just never updated it. And and people have to understand, having worked there, (laughs) is that these things are legacy contracts that go on for 20 years. And, you know, and it's like you said, it's an old, old program that's been around forever and paper-based initially, you, you don't catch those things. It's yeah. one of the benefits of moving to electronic contracting. Right? So, yeah, so definitely being able to sort through all of that and all the making sure all the reference clauses were still an active clause because the FAR Council and different things have actually been somewhat moving things. So our groups have definitely been moving things from the GSAR level up to the FAR but we've also – we have internal clauses for this contract specifically that move to the GSAR or the FAR. Right, and the GSAR is GSA's own, own regulations supplement, right? Yeah. Supplements the FAR, right? So, yeah. So we, we definitely – like getting all of that correct was a pretty big lift as well. But 
this is also when we decided to definitely split the contract by categories because what we found was and the way we did the contracts, we would repeat the same clause over and over again based on what special item number, which is a smaller category basically, you had. So you could have the same clause in your solicitation like 40 times, times, 10 times, 80 times. Who knows? It it was over and over and over again. Uh, So we decided that we needed to have a base solicitation with the main terms and conditions, and then we needed to have category attachments with the additional terms and conditions. That are applicable to like – whether yeah. it's I, just IT, just IT, line items or SINs. So and, if you're selling paper, maybe you don't need to read about FedRAMP. Right. And getting through FedRAMP just to get to the office supply side is probably just overwhelming. So we knew we wanted to pull it out, put it in an attachment so that you could pick which category really affected you as an industry person so that you could decide which one you needed to read and adhere to rather than reading this massive document with no end. Right. And I guess if you're a company that cuts across – all different categories, you have multiple attachments. You're yeah. Gonna, that's going to be, a, but you're not duplicating, right? Yeah. The, the same, you don't see the same you clause. You don't see the 10 same times. clause. Yeah. Okay. So it's all by ca- large categories, and then we have clauses by subcategory, and only on special circumstances do we actually have clauses that are at the special item number level. So, and as you said, the special item numbers. They're special on their own. <laughs> right. <laughs> a it's, special task. Yes. There, right? It's a numbering system that really um, everyone got to create their own, which never is a great idea. Yeah. So, so all the centers around the country. Yeah. yeah. Everyone got to create their own um, numbers and they just kind of went off these old numbering systems. When we asked how they created their numbering system, no one really knew. Everyone was kind of like, well, we'd always done it that way. So that's why we do that numbering system. Some of them... If you have different numbers in the legacy schedules, that's how you know it was combined with another one because the numbers went to a different schedule. So, sure, yeah. And when they were merged together, they all got in there, and that's why the numbering slightly changes within each schedule. We found out we had just over 900 special item numbers on the legacy schedules. The new schedule only has 320. So we didn't remove any scope of offering. All the offerings are still there. We just reduced the number of special item numbers that they're available under. And the other thing is, if we ever need new ones or we have to delete or change them, we wanted to have a numbering system that made sense. And the only numbering system that we have that's pretty consistent across the government was those NAICS code, the North American mm-hmm. Index Industry Classification Yes, yes. System. The NAICS codes. Those yeah, things. Those yes. things. <laughs> so we tried to align them to that. So... If there's only one NAICS code with the SIN, they're the same number. But if there's more than one NAICS code with the SIN, it would be a shortened version or it has an alphanumeric. If a SIN shares a NAICS code with another SIN, you'll see an alphanumeric at the end of it. But you'll still see that NAICS code in there just kind of so you'll know. So if it starts with 33, you're going to know it's a commodity. If it starts with 54, you know it's a professional services. So you're going to have kind of that guide that's in there of how those sins were created to make just a little bit more sense. Does that also provide clarity with regard to small business? And, you know, because schedules I know are a big small business program that benefits. So, yeah, so the schedules program has always had over 80% of the contractors are small business in the program. So one of the things we wanted to also do is make sure each sin had its own size standard because in the past they'd had multiple size standards, which – also caused confusion. Um, we still will retain that the size standard for the whole contract will be on that preponderance of work 
because you can only have one size standard for a whole contract. But at least at the SIN level, you'll be able to see, and there won't be a guessing game of which NAICS code do I pick, which one do I do for this, based on it. There'll only be one size standard available per each SIN. We're already up on the break, Stephanie. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about you know the level set with the October 1st issuance and, that, and then the phase two where you're working – to get out that mass mod and get people signed up to their to the terms at least initially, right? You can talk yep. about that phase and what it all means. My guest today is Stephanie Shutt. She's the director of the Multiple Board Schedule Program Management Office. I'm Roger Waldron, and you are listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Stephanie Shutt. She's the director of the Multiple Board Schedule Program Management Office and the Schedules Consolidation Guru. All right. So you have to understand, Stephanie, I have often referred to this show as like this we're, we're procurement geeks here, typically <laughs> on here. So, and you are part of the, oh, yes. the geeky family. I am right? part of that so, geeky family. So, I really so, am. <laughs> um, and you should be proud of it. Um, so, uh, in this segment, I think we'll talk about phase two and some other things. But one of the things I wanted to go back to with regard to you know the review of the terms and conditions and how you structured that. I know one of the things you also would do. Could you talk a little bit about your outreach to industry in particular who were directly affected to the mm-hmm. by the terms and conditions, and also you know any role that customers played in that review as well. So we did a couple of different things for outreach. One of the things we did is we actually put out a full request for information. And we did this because it was somewhat the easiest way to get information back. Um, We did get a few comments directly via email because we always get a couple comments directly via email. Yes. (laughs) Um, But we did put this out and we were actually um, surprised with the response. We knew we'd get a response. We had, I believe, over 450 people respond to wow. one, and then we had over 500, almost 600 respond to the other. On the terms and conditions and layout of the schedule, for that one, we found out that about 90% or higher found it much easier to figure out what needed to happen. Um, for the special item numbers, we had over 85% like the new structure. Most comments we got were kind of like, wait, wait, where am I going? Yes, it was, yeah. it was everyone's always panicked about wh- what happens to me. Where do I go? So, uh, making sure that we have that information out there. We also did a couple webinars online, and we've recorded these webinars, and we put a copy of the webinar up online on our YouTube channel, so anyone can watch them whenever they want. Uh, our webinars for the first couple, we actually maxed out on every single one. Yes, yeah. and we allowed live Q and A at the end of each of them because I always find Q and A is very important. When you have that, people can ask what their deepest fear is, basically. And you get that. And that is what helps us write our frequently asked questions and different things like that. So, Do you find, too, when you do that, because you did it and you've spoken to industry a lot mm-hmm. and you've been to the coalitions many times, I always find I learn something from the questions. I definitely do. Yeah. I, I always find a different way to look at things, especially how what we thought the term and condition or what we thought the sin was going to do. And then we'll talk to industry and they'll be like, well, when we sell this, this is what happens. And so what you're providing us, this is why we have issues with it. So figuring those things out and getting that information back helps us make these weird little tweaks 
that don't seem like a lot, but can actually help like a couple of companies really make things work a lot better. Yeah, that's one of the things that you learn that I learned when I left GSA. Gee, if I knew uh, then what I know now of how things impact yeah. industry, um, you know, there's some things I would have done differently. You never know. It's just you know, because it is a you know trying to understand from that yeah. perspective. So, um, so you did all that outreach. You got the terms and conditions finalized in yeah. the SIN structure. You issued the new consolidated solicitation, and that's where new offers come in now. That's from new now offers. On, right? Yep. Right. So now, and but the phase two you mentioned in the first segment is also about moving current contractors to the consolidated framework yeah. with a VMS mod. Can you describe all that a little bit more? So, yeah. So, one of the things we're trying to definitely get across right now is if you already have a contract and you have more than five years, don't just go get another one just because it looks new and shiny and fancy. Keep your contract that you have right now. In January, we're looking to release a mass mod. And basically, all this is going to do is change those very base solicitation clauses that are in the contracts. And it's going to migrate the legacy SIN structure to the new SIN structure so that when you go into eLibrary, it will show that new SIN structure um, for those contracts. It's not going to change any negotiated factors. So that would be your period of performance. That's not going to change. Your contract number, that's not going to change priceless negotiations on warranty, labor categories, whether that be resumes, um, educational experience, all of these different things, all the different factors that go into that best value continuum when you're doing the pricing, all of that will stay with what you already have. We're not going to move any of that. Right, but you're just putting it under the new SIN structure. Just under the new SIN structure. That's it. So – the main reason we want to do that is we want to have little to no disruption on orders. That was one of our main things is we didn't want industry worried about, I have these orders, what happens to them? Do right, I or a BPA. Or a BPA, anything like that. So we didn't want anyone to have to worry about that. We also didn't want agencies have to be posed questions of, what do I do now? So keeping these contract numbers was our number one priority because we had to. Um, This is also something we learned from the professional services consolidation is making sure that we kept these contracts, but we kept them live and viewable on eLibrary because that makes an agency feel happy. It makes them feel safe. I can see the contract. It's here. I don't have to call the contracting officer and be like, but wait, is it real? Because I don't see it anymore. Right. Yeah. And the government, it's it's fascinating too, because the government is all about, you know, that what is the contract number, right? Yeah. And did it go, if it goes it go away, away? There may still be the exactly the same contract, but if it has a different contract number. It's panic. It, yeah. It just, <laughs> you know, it gums up the works. You know, it's like sand in the gears kind of thing. So, yeah. So we wanted to make sure everyone kept that because business as usual, everything can keep going through. And then as we're going through these different changes, it's not changing anything on that external side. So people can get used to different things and not have to, oh, no, I've got to do this and this and this and this. And I didn't want a huge workload for industry, and I didn't want a huge workload for customer agencies because of things that we were changing. The workload should be on us. Right, so you, your plan is to issue that mass mod January, January, January 2020. 2020. And then how folks will have how long to sign up to it? or So technically in every contract you have about 90 days to sign a mass mod. GSA is not the most diligent about chasing that down, but um, we'll give the 90 days, but we're actually going to give about six months to sign this mass mod. 
The reason we're giving a little bit more time on this is it's a big change. Sometimes yes. change is scary. Sometimes you need a month to breathe about it and then be, oh, I can do this. It's okay. Right. And the companies are to the end, you know, they're going to want to fully understand exactly what it means yeah. for restructuring their contracts. So, yeah. So we're going to do that. Um, do you see also, just another question, Paul. So with that six months time frame, they're also, to the extent they're, you're doing this mad mass mods and there's companies with multiple contracts, that I guess that time also gives them a chance to start really thinking about what does it mean for me to yeah. I have five contracts. I've done, I've got this mass mod. This is what it looks like. This is what it's going to look like in the future as I move from five to one. Gives them some additional time to think about that. Yeah, it helps them get their head somewhat wrapped around what they're going to need to do as a company to get to those contracts where they want them. They're going to figure out how many they have. They're also going to figure out which SINs merged together so that they may have the same SIN on multiple contracts now. They may have similar price lists on multiple contracts. And they may have always had that, but because the contracts were so siloed, it didn't feel that way. Yeah. But it's going to become more apparent. So once those mass mods are signed, I think industry is going to be able to see more clearly the direction that they really want to go and getting themselves down to one. Right. But that's not the phase. That's not going to happen until yeah. later, right? Yep. Right. So and that's what we're going to talk about in the last segment a little bit. Um, and we are, Stephanie, we're already up on the break. Oh. It's, uh, time is flying here. But when we come back, we'll talk about the next phase. And I also want you to circle back and talk about, you know, the benefits of this consolidation. You're building on a program that represents, you know, over $30 billion annually in government spend. It's popular, clearly, yeah. consistently, big with, for small business, big for commercial items. And this, I think, will help take it to the next level. We'll talk some, some about that as well. Uh, my guest today is Stephanie Shutt. She is the Multiple Award Schedule Program Management Office Director. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Stephanie Shutt. Stephanie is the Director of the Multiple Award Schedule Program Management Office, and um, she is leading the consolidation of the schedules program that that initiative, um, which has been a Herculean, yeah. So thank you so much. So <laughs> um, effort on the part of GSA and the team, um, and we've gotten the, through the first two phases, Stephanie. Right? You said so. The the mass mod is going to be issued in January, and then you mentioned about six month time frame for people to. Sign up or wrap their heads, figure out what they're going to do. So I guess that turns the phase threes sort of kicking off in July of yeah. next year. Talk a little bit about that. So we're going to kick off the phase three, and that's basically getting everyone down to one contract per contractor because you shouldn't need more than one. These are 20-year contracts, so you should at least have a couple years in there where you're just doing one. So that's going to be in this phase. We have – probably around three to 400 contractors that have a lot. We have a couple that have two, but when you get over three or more, it's between three and 400 contractors. So, And I was actually surprised that the number was a little lower, actually, than I had originally thought it was going to be. It's still a lot, pretty but big. It's still no, a lot. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely a lot. I thought it was going to be 4,000, so yeah, <laughs> it's a bit different. But what we're going to do is once July hits, we will – 
basically send an email to any contractor who has more than one contract where more than one of them has at least more than five years on them. Because if you have only five years left on a 20-year contract, we want you to just kind of live that contract out because you're you're slowly taking things off of it anyway. So we're just going to let that naturally happen. So we're only going to worry about those people who have contracts that are over five years left on them. Industry is going to play a huge part in this. They're going to decide. So one of the things that they're going to need to do is look at all their contracts and figure out how many BPAs they have, how many orders they have, what that cycle is. They also need to decide, what is my company? What is the intent of my company? Am I a professional services company that does some IT? Am I an IT company that has some professional services? What do I do? What's the intent of my company? Um, This will help you figure out which schedule you should keep going with because that's going to be where your stuff is. Um, You have other schedules that fill that, but in reality, you probably have one that's your... You have a core. Yeah, you have your core. I also call it the ride and die schedule, Mm -hmm. the one that is what you do. With every other schedule, you're going to look at those workloads and you're going to look at the scope of them. If the scope already exists on your contract you want to keep going with, you don't have to move it over because it's already there. But if it doesn't exist on that or the price list or the labor categories or whatever that is doesn't, you're going to have to do a full modification to update those contracts to get those offerings moved. The reason you have to do a full modification is because each of these contracts are siloed, they were negotiated differently every single time So, because it's a different person. So you're going to have to do those modifications to move those items over. Then what you're going to do is you're going to look at your contracts and you're going to decide which ones you want to cancel. And our goal is to try and get at least a memorandum of understanding or something with these industry partners that states when their end dates are going to be, get them put in the system as the finalized end dates for these contracts. This phase will take a while to get done. It could take up to five years based on BPAs. But other than that, we really are going to focus more on having those plans done um, from July to probably the next July for one year. And once we get all those plans in place, we're just going to let it just naturally yeah, go where it needs for to the go. Implementation. Yeah. So, and you're talking about like companies identifying their core, and maybe that's the solicitation that's the anchor that things move to. Will companies will likely look too to see what contracts they have the most, you know, life on if they've yeah. got a 15 year. You know, they're only on the first, you know, the base period and they got 15 more years on one. They may look to consolidate there just because they keep that contract in place. Yeah, there's definitely going to be a lot of different factors that go into that decision. And a lot of it's going to be based on that company and where that company is. And that's why we really want industry to make these decisions on their own um, and then work with us to decide how that's going to finalize. Because us kind of shoving a solution down when we don't know everything about their company, it's just not going to work for everyone. So we really want them to be part of that conversation and really bring forward a plan on their own. So how how are you going to structure that? Because you talked about those three to 400 companies that have lots of contracts. So you're talking about lots of CEOs. Yeah. And if they're going to have to pick like a, you know, a base or anchor contract, yes. that CEO will be the lead? Is that So, yeah, so what we'll do um, to begin with is my group will start, and my group is small. There's only about nine of us, (laughs) and that includes me. Yeah, that's not the IPT. That's not the That's my just internal group, which is why we needed an IPT. I looked at my group and said, oh, we do not have enough people. So 
what we'll do is my group will start sending out emails to all of these people and we will get it started and then we will set up facilitations between if there are conflicts. A lot of the times, majority of them are going to be really simple decisions and people are going to be like, oh, yeah, this makes sense and everyone will be great. There will probably be, um, I'm expecting at least 100 companies to have things where we're going to need to actually facilitate through multiple COs. And these are going to be the companies that have 5, 10, 12 contracts that we're going to need to actually talk to different people. Um, A lot of companies have multiple contracts, but they're in the same acquisition center. So those ones are going to go a little bit more simply because all their COs are sitting near each other. As opposed to people who have COs where they have some in one region, some across the country because they have their hands in everything. So those are the ones we'll focus on with the facilitation. But otherwise, we'll just send the email out. We'll give a couple of different options. We'll give them kind of a roadmap to talk to with their company. And then they'll come back with that plan and we'll just make sure they get in contact with the correct COs. This also reduces the burden on our workforce, but it also makes sure that the path is a consistent path and everyone gets the same message rather than getting it from different people. Because I I mean, I can't imagine if you have 12 contracts from like 12 COs getting 12 emails all in the same day. I feel like that'd be just overwhelming for everyone. So you'll have this period, you'll build the sort of blueprint or the roadmap to get Mm -hmm. companies down. You're going to do that over the course of July to July 2020 to hopefully July 2021. Yeah. You know, Along with that, one of the things I know you you guys are working on are your systems. Yes. Um, Because you can have beautiful contracts. If you don't have the systems to support them, people aren't going to be able to use them, right? Yeah. So we did start doing a couple of small system fixes, uh, mainly with eOffer was the first system we tackled. Uh, The main thing we changed in eOffer is before you had to guess what attachments to include – was a very weird haphazard situation um, because the contract was so large. We knew we had to identify which attachments you needed based on what you were offering. So we did clean that up. It's a small fix, but we've heard from industry that it has made a mountain of difference and makes it much easier. We also know from when contractors first enter the system to when they submit an offer, the time has gone from like six months on average to three to five days on average. So it must be slightly more simple because people are figuring it out a lot faster now. That's great. Yep. So um, during phase two, we're going to do some other tweaks, mainly with eMod. The other things we'll be looking at is eLibrary and eBuy because these are main things that agencies also use to look for different things. We're going to look like we have 25 schedules between January and July because we have the new one. And the new one's going to be called the multiple award schedule mass because then we don't have to rebrand and industry doesn't have to rebrand. No one has to rebrand. Um, we can keep all that there and keep that momentum going. But in eBuy, we'll map the legacy and the new sins together so that every industry partner who has those will get those notifications. No one will be blocked out because they're on the wrong situation. We don't want that to happen. We want to ensure that competition is there. Um Advantage, we're not too worried about because no one searches advantage by schedule or sin. Everyone searches for product. They actually type in words and figure that what they need. So we're not. But you're also working on that too. Yeah. We are looking at, we have another project that's going on right now um, catalog management, which is part of that federal marketplace, which is being run out of our Philadelphia office through Dina McLaughlin. 
Uh, so we're going to do those things. And then in July, and this is why we say July is when you have to get that mass mod done. We are looking to update eBuy and eLibrary to the point where we remove the 24 legacy schedules and we just have the one. And at that point, we will be able to have a really strong foundation and we can actually start doing the continuous improvement on all of the systems that we've been trying to do for years that we haven't been able to do because every schedule is slightly different. Yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's yeah, your the main systems thing. have had to accommodate the data. Yes. Right, in a certain sense, right? Yeah. So you create stovepipe. I mean, it's, yeah. So that's so. great. So, yeah. And we'll, I mean, no industry would be very interested in, you know, the systems piece of it as well. To, you know, yeah. That is the, you know, the life, you know, the channels through which lots of business get conducted. Uh, Stephanie, we've got about a minute left. And, you know, the, what you described today is a, is a big effort in major initiative for GSA. Uh, on a program that has been as successful, I, I'd like to give you an opportunity to just talk about what are the benefits of all this for customers and for industry and for GSA. In reality, the biggest benefit of this is going to be is it's going to take the guesswork out of it. Anyone who was nervous to do schedules in the past because they weren't sure where to go, how to do it, this is going to simplify that entire situation. We're going to use real words that people know and people understand which means people will be able to purchase easier. We're going to make sure that people industry can be connected with the customer agencies correctly so that they have the proper competition they need to have that security. But our goal is just to streamline that entire process and to continue to streamline this and never let this program be stagnant again. Doesn't it position, does it from, it seems to me it also pro- well positions it for the future as the commercial market changes and there's more solution-based approach. Mm-hmm. You've eliminated those scope stovepipes that yeah. well, part of making it easier for industry and customers to buy. Yeah. No one's going to have to have multiple contracts to come to the government. Yeah. The government's not going to have to work around weird little rules to get what they need. You can do the solution that you purchase every day. You can sell the solution that you sell every day. The way you sell it, this is a commercial schedule contract. It should be done the way the commercial market works, and this gets us one step closer. And we're hoping as we go forward, we continue to make our systems easier. Everything works so that when you're an agency, it just makes sense. When you're industry, it just makes sense. You're not trying to go through a weird shoots and ladder game of trying to make your stuff fit our words. You're using whatever works for you. Right. Stephanie, it just makes common sense. It makes common right. sense. Right. <laughs> Great stuff. I want to thank my guest today, Stephanie Shutt. She is the Multiple Award Schedule Program Management Office Director. I am Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher 
And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 smart bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 special edition smart bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.